Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers. I am Andy Zaltzman. This is issue 4216 of the Bugle. And welcome, for the first time in Bugle history, to the 26th biggest island in the world, Tasmania. The sparsely populated blob that dangles happily in the ocean off the southeastern corner of the Australiac landmass, like a backup emergency New Zealand. Uh, it's my first time in Tasmania. The uh, I'm here, as you probably know, Buglers, by now. I came out to Australia... Uh, to, to cover the Ashes um, cricket series. The final match was supposed to be in Perth, but Perth decided that England would have been thrashed by then, so what was the point? I think that was the reasoning. So they've dumped us all in, in Tasmania, and it seems uh, it seems lovely. Um, uh, if you can uh, f- make yourself forget about the history of ethnic cleansing, slavery, abductions and disease spreading that wiped out the local population, which, as a British person, I've been trained to do from my earliest schooling. It helps us get out of bed in the morning. Uh, it, other than that, it seems lovely. It's famous for its devils, of course. I've not seen one yet, and some doubt has been raised in recent weeks over whether or not the Tasmanian devil, the famously stroppy and scrofulous marsupial, sort of like a cross between a kangaroo and a Trump-supporting anti-vaxxer, um, is actually an agent of Beelzebub himself or not. The evidence, well, it's not compelling. I mean, if the devil has indeed chosen Tasmania as a launch pad for conquering the world, he's not exactly given himself the biggest possible audience. This place is around, around about 0.3% full I reckon, um, but you know it, it looks lovely, and there's cricket afoot, uh, which uh, which is which is always good. Uh, perhaps the devil isn't as fussed about market share as the media would have you believe, or just can't be asked anymore, given how humanity seems to be doing a perfectly decent job of destroying the shit out of itself without him even uh, having to put in a regular nine to five. I am looking out of my hotel window now at uh, the twelve hundred meter chunk that is Mount Wellington, uh, which is like a regular mountain but coated in mushrooms, ham, and pastry. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> there's a little joke for any food fans out there. Uh, joining me to assess the state of the planet and its people this week. We've got the old band back together from the Sydney Live Bugle, uh, albeit there's a band that never played together because the gig was cancelled. Uh, but what a reunion <laughs> show this would have been, a week on from what would surely have been one of the landmark moments in modern culture. Firstly, joining me uh, from Sydney, uh, it's Alice Fraser. Hello, Alice. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. It's a delightful thing to, to know that you are in Tasmania, the one part of Australia the map of which changes depending on how much Australia wants to look after itself and whether it's got a hot date coming up. Family show, Alice. Family show. <laughs> uh, those unfamiliar with the Australian uh, term may wish to do some internet research. Uh, anyway, welcome, uh, uh, Alice. I just write, here uh, be dragons across my pubes. Is... <laughs> <laughs> it's well, a long yet, lockdown. Still, still, you've recently had a baby, so... Um, yeah, <laughs> Contraceptive methods go, obviously not very effective. Um, yeah, joining us uh, on the Bugle for the very first time, also from Sydney, it's James Colley. Uh, James, welcome, welcome to the Bugle. Um, it's lovely to have you uh, have you on the show. Um, you also have recently uh, given birth um, your, yourself. Yes, well, not personally, not myself. Okay. My, um, right. I have more of a map of Gondwana land, but it is still very much intact. <laughs> uh, but it is an honour to be here, and I hope to make this one the top four thousand two hundred and seventeen episodes. <laughs> um, so yeah, your your baby is seven weeks old. Um, mm-hmm. Well, c- congratulations. Um, uh, how's parenthood treating you? It's an absolute breeze so far. Uh, other than <laughs> all of the things you have to do in keeping the child alive, everything else has been hunky dory. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, uh, Alice, this means that um, you have the third least young child of Bugle uh, co-hosts, having been over uh, usurped by both Lloyd Langford and now now James. Um, which I mean, because I mean, yeah, it used I to be that, that I, I was I, I was the fucking king of having young children on the Bugle podcast <laughs> for like eight fucking years. I had the youngest the, the youngest fucking kids on this show. Um, well, anyway, I wasn't going wasn't gonna to let you take that title for too long. Well, Andy, no, I, I prefer to think that I'm a thought leader, that people think, oh, if I want to be like Alice Fraser, I too need to, to have a child. And, of course, um, they can't do it personally, so they have to go back eight or nine months and impregnate <laughs> their partners. Um, yeah, look, I don't know. I, I just think what you need is to actually do the birth giving. I think I might be the only. I tried right. my best. I might, um, I might be the only one who squeezed one out. I might be the only one who had to go to a pelvic floor physio where a lady asks you for too much consent. Like, it's fine, it's fine, but don't don't ask me for consent every step of the way because then it starts to get sexy, you know? Like, it's fine to just be like, can I put my fingers in you? And then I'll say yes. But if it's like parting the outer labia, are you all right with that? That process. It's very stressful, so it's, Andy. It's standard year ten disco rules. <laughs> uh, Felicity's being, had Felicity's had baby. Felicity's. Oh, yep. Felicity. There you go. Is is Grace the current youngest? Yes. So congratulations. Oh, um, that that's huge. She is one of the youngest people I've ever met. She is growing yeah. out of it, but it was one of her <laughs> defining qualities early on. Yes. Just. Um, oh, have you done off, that thing off. where you like touch the back of her knees and go, "No one's touched this bit yet." <laughs> That's fun. No one's done that to me yet, and I'm forty-seven. <laughs> As always, the section of the bugle is going straight in the bin this week. The world's most pointless books. We have a rundown of the least useful books currently available on the market, including How to Bake Socks by Leviticus Grind, as uh, Elspinia Ginses, Badminton for the Dead. 101 Best Granite Recipes by Ken Rocky McClavical. What if Hitler had been an orange? That's the new one from Simon Sharma. Uh, a new travel book, What to Do with a Spare Second in Madrid uh, by uh, Norberta Warmillion. Uh, and uh, How to Count to a Trillion in Under 20,000 Years uh, by Sir Freston de la Brick, the official uh, state mathematician. Uh, of the United Kingdom. That section in the bin. Uh, we are recording on the 11th of January 2022, meaning it is exactly to the minute, 2001 years since Jesus Christ's slightly belated 21st birthday party. Uh, him and his mates went water skating, and it's fair to say he enjoyed it a lot more than they did. Percussions from that whole thing. Judas promising <laughs> that he'd pay next time they went out together. <laughs> Some terrible Those reaping. Bonds of trust were never fully, fully restored. Um... <laughs> Top story this week, 2022 has begun. The decade is having another go at trying to have a year that isn't totally shit. And uh, we are now 11 days in to 2022. Um, Alice, James, how, how would you say the year is going so far in the context of this decade? You know, you know when you get like three tracks into an album and then you're all a sudden like, what is this doing on the album? 
Well, I really like 2022 so far because it has been consistently as bad as everything else. We are about a week in and we are grinding into, we already have our yearly Australian international crisis that seems to happen every January now as somewhat of a tradition. So it's, it's a, it's a return to form. Sorry. Are you counting as crises like bushfires and Novak Djokovic? <laughs> yes. Yes. Two things that equally garner sympathy from overseas while being partly our own fault. <laughs> yeah, Alice, uh, 2022 for you, where's it, where's it stand in the, the pantheon of uh, greatest years of the decade so far? I mean, so far it has been uh, a sludgy mess of sort of temporal incoherence. Um, so that's that's about standard for me, right. just not, not knowing what okay. day of the week it is, but now I have an excuse. Yeah. Yes, I guess so. Um, and that excuse being that life has become entirely pointless over the last two years. So uh, it's nothing to do with having a child. Um, well, it's also to, to do with the fact that it was my birthday last week, so I have to face the fact that I am not a young lady anymore. I'm not an old lady. I'm just a lady. Just some lady doing shit. It's <laughs> a lot to come to terms with, so man. What, I mean, at what point do you, do you become an... I mean, is it a specific age that you become an old lady, or is it a state of mind, or is it... Uh, the type of shopping trolley you use. I think it's when it stops being impressive that you're just doing normal stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> yep. No one's like, oh, right. well, that's good for how young she is. It's like, oh, that's <laughs> mediocre for any age. I, I sympathise with you, Alice, because I'm not quite middle-aged, but I'm certainly not bronze age. I'm definitely iron, iron alloy age. <laughs> uh, well, I'm f***ing 47, and there's uh, really no way of tarting that up. Um, on the plus side... Um, Five of the world's most powerful nations have pledged to avoid nuclear war. I, I found this a very interesting story because this was a declaration of five of the permanent members of the Security Council known as the P5 or the N5. And that they can't even agree on that shows how monumental a decision <laughs> this is. Uh, oh, for a dear, moment there, they went to... Well. With, <laughs> they would have gone with the PN5, but it looked a little bit rude when written, written down. Uh, <laughs> this... <laughs> This is uh, this had a wording that had to be hammered out over several months. That wording, a nuclear war cannot be won and must not be fought, which is true. A nuclear war cannot be won, but you can grind out a hard-fought draw, which in you'd settle for in the face of annihilation. Sorry, I'm thinking about the ashes again. Uh, but oh, speaking look, of... Yes, James, 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 come on. Too soon. Look, if the idea of a contest that can't be won and must never be fought... Uh, I mean, if if everyone just didn't bother with that, then this the England would never come to Australia to play cricket. It's more important that you turn up and take the Armageddon that is coming your way. And I think the English <laughs> cricket team is showing the world that we've got these nukes and we have a duty to use them. And I think there is a very good chance that you'll end up not out at the end, despite all the horror around <laughs> you. <laughs> but... I think this is this is a real treat for us that, that the United Nations has agreed that the world will not end due to the actions of any one member, but due to the collective inaction of every member. We're going to make this world <laughs> uninhabitable and we're going to do it together. Well, this is the thing, Alice, that, I mean, it, it might sound like good news, but I mean, it's bad news for those of us who advocate a speed apocalypse rather than the current sort of tedious drip, 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 multi-source Armageddon creep that that we're going through. Um, I mean... I mean, is this is this is this good news, or, or do we just want to like try and end it as soon as possible? I mean, this is bad news in the meta sense of the word, which is always the way that I like to approach the news. This is this is badly done news. They've missed the lead. The lead is holy shit. They didn't agree on this before. It took them this long. 
to agree. Like, it's such a 90s pledge. Uh, also, they're focusing on the wrong people. Like, who? Wh- what about the countries that didn't agree to this? What, what is Canada up to? Why is Belgium being so quiet? <laughs> Personal pledges. I pledged to avoid nuclear war years ago, and I have upheld that pledge, but it never goes reported. <laughs> no, well, I've, I've actually got rid of all my nucleuses. I have, I've, none of my cells now have, have nucleuses. Um, that might be the aging process. But I, I, I liked be- for this part. Part of the reason this was apparently taking so long to nut out was because France, France, France was worried that the wording would, quote, undermine the deterrent effect of its arsenal, to which I would argue is the very point of this kind of agreement. It's almost as if we want to undermine the deterrent effect of a nuclear arsenal. I think I think France's main problem uh, with the wording would be that there just weren't enough words because I mean the, the French they love to elongate a sentence and you know that it's, it's far too concise you can understand that after months of haggling they'd have wanted to for it to have about fifteen sub clauses and a, a meal halfway through uh, but anyway so here it is that the five <laughs> uh, powerful nations five of the world's most powerful nations the USA Russia China France and the UK sorry three of the world's most powerful nations. Uh, as well as France and the UK, for old times' sake, have pledged. Pledged. Uh, they fucking pledged. It's a fucking pledge, people. Why are you not more more excited? If the history of humanity tells you one thing, it's that a pledge leads to absolutely guaranteed certain fulfilment and a warm feeling of trust. <laughs> a pledge. That's this oh, subject that our children. A vow. Uh, a vow. It, well, you don't actually mean a vow. Uh, a vow is sounding like you mean something. A pledge is meaning something that doesn't yeah. actually mean anything, uh, like uh, we're not going to do something that hasn't been happening anyway. And a promise is a lie. I think those are the three differences between That's uh, those words. Yeah. The way you remember it is a vow is I-O-U, and sometimes why? <laughs> Very good. So, I mean, why do we think this is happening now? Um I mean, maybe that the, these five countries remember that the looming threats of nuclear war is actually a very useful political tool. Um, otherwise, you know, people might... So just kind of get, sowing that idea back in people's minds. Oh, yeah, nuclear Armageddon is a possibility. Otherwise, people might start to question why we spend so much money on, for example, in Britain, our Trident nuclear subs. Uh, or, um, as well as questioning it, we might just demand a go in a nuclear sub because uh, we pay our taxes we should be allowed to benefit from them. i think that's how taxes work isn't it is that the, the way they work in australia that's why we used to keep fighting world wars to give taxpayers a chance to see what the defense budget was being spent on by going to war i personally am going to sleep well at night knowing that every nation that has nuclear weapons has agreed to not use them except for north korea and india and pakistan and israel <laughs> and maybe south africa if they've still got one about in australia oh sorry said too much do not look inside the big banana do not look inside the big banana <laughs> so just uh, james uh can you just explain the big banana because i think i mean this is essentially uh australia's leading tourist attraction uh, Absolutely. So, yep. so the the good people of Coffs Harbour in Australia were tired of looking at regular sized bananas, and they thought <laughs> it was an intractable problem. But luckily, some plucky council came together and said, "You know what? We're going to build an incredibly large banana." Which I say incredibly large, moderately big. big. We are overselling it by saying, (laughs) compared to a regular banana, very, very big indeed. But compared to any other thing that you would consider big, quite a small banana. Compared to the image you have in your head when someone says tourist attraction, the big (laughs) banana, it's not as big as you'd think. It's like a small bus-sized banana. 
My biggest problem with... So, there are a lot of big thing attractions in Australia, but the problem is they're not to scale. So, the big prawn and big banana are moderately about the same size. They don't scale these things up or down. (laughs) The big ant, again, is the same size as the banana, whereas really the banana should be thousands of times bigger, surely. (laughs) Also, uh, interestingly, interesting Australia geography fact, Coffs Harbour isn't what it was going to be uh, called, but someone had an itch in their throat when they were naming it. (laughs) What was it going to be called? Just Harbour? Or... <laughs> it's just a rude name. It was a, ru- it was right, a rude okay. name and they were da- very polite back in those days, the English. Okay. They were actually trying to say Big Banana, but the <laughs> problem with their throat was so bad it just got called Coffs Harbour. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they named it on a Zoom call. I don't know. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it, what, this, is, this is a problem, uh, James, you mentioned, that the, the five states who signed uh, this uh, agreement uh, declaration are the five states recognised by the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty of 1968. Now, I mean, is this not an important enough thing that you update your contact book at some point in the intervening 54 years? I mean, not, so, so as you said, they missed out India, Pakistan, North Korea, Israel and, and Belgium. Uh, that's breaking news. Uh, on the on the bugle. I mean, surely that's a WhatsApp. Belgium's thing you not have really to a threat. They'll they'll plan on doing a nuclear strike, but then they'll waffle about it. Boom! There we go. That's that's one for the old timers. <laughs> I think it's just a very difficult thing for like they. You have to understand here they are working at breakneck speed. In 1945, the first nuclear weapon is tested. Then they use them a couple of times, and ever since then they've been working as quickly as they can to put a stop to this. And just let's say 80 brief years later, they really have <laughs> agreed to let's think twice before we ever do this again. It's why I'm looking forward to knowing that one day, if I am ever staring down a mushroom cloud launched by Vladimir Putin as a retaliatory act against the nation of Georgia's obstinate refusal to become the nation of Russia, I could say to him, President Putin, do you not remember your agreement? And he'll say, oh, sorry about that, and pop the mushroom <laughs> back in the bomb and offer me a coffee. That is that is reassuring, James, reassuring in these troubled times. In other uh, global military news, uh, Alice, you are the Bugle's uh, military space expenditure correspondent and uh, a huge scoop you found for us this week uh, via an article online uh, that governments worldwide spent $123 billion on uh, space programs in 2021. And the proportion that is spent on militarising space has gone up. And if it keeps going up uh, at the current rate, then, and I'm making this up, within 15 years, uh, <laughs> civilian uh, space programs will have to pay to be blown up by special rockets. Yes, Andy, one small debt for man, one massive debt for mankind. Now we can all look towards the stars and think, that's where the education budget went. I wonder what those sparkly things in the sky are. Uh, and, and they'll be bombs, Andy, they will be bombs. This is, this is sort of an incredible thing because all of the news has been about I- individuals um, going to space, you know, wealthy billionaires and so on and so forth and their private investments. Uh, but it turns out a lot of those private investments were built on uh, public infrastructure and it's coming out of the to the, tax, the taxpayer's pocket, uh, which is all too full of um, three-week-old masks that you haven't washed yet. Uh, <laughs> the, I mean, the, the US, it's sort of all balanced out, right? The, it, Australia spent $450 million on the space program, which is pretty good given that we don't have one. Um, <laughs> 
So that's a little confusing. I'm not sure exactly what goes in civilian space programs. I think it's, I imagine it's putting things like satellites and pigs in space. Um, and they they currently receive more funding than military space programs. But the, the US is spending more and more on its military space programs. And I think the reason for this is that we now have a generation of politicians who have seen all the alien disaster movies and they do not want to be the ones who are the complacent advisors or politicians in the opening scenes before the aliens arrive. And I, I think That makes sense. That, it, that explains yeah. why every political operative now is listening to the craziest person they can find, because that's always the problem <laughs> in the disaster film. You need to listen to the craziest person out there. Uh, the Australian Committee Space Connect uh, is chaired by a man called Pat Conahan, who said that Australia must, quote, position itself to capitalise on the growing space sector, uh, which is good to know that he knows that space is growing. That's a good start. <laughs> it's not so much a small slice of a big pie. It's more like a small slice of an infinite pie. <laughs> if we're doing this and billionaires are already shooting themselves into space, I say once they get up there, mug them. Hand over the bucks, Bezos, or we'll prime ship you into the core of the sun. <laughs> Um, in other nuclear news, the European Commission has proposed labelling some nuclear power, as well as gas, as green in an effort to uh, make the planet think that we're doing something about it and to therefore cure itself. Um, uh, critics of the move have claimed that labelling nuclear and gas power as green is akin to describing an ostrich that is aggressively pecking you in the face with a sharpened beak as friendly because, by comparison, a shark would have bitten your head off by now. Uh, or even um, describing a cricket team as having done well because, for once, they didn't get absolutely f***ing Vesuvius in a test match. Now, um, nuclear power technically sits in a special environmental category of its own, um, of gala, which is green as long as... dot dot dot. Um, and uh, a, a, um, spoke to someone or other for the EU Advisory Subcommittee on Delaying the Onset of Armageddon, brackets Working Party D, said that uh, gas can't be that bad, you can't even f***ing see it, and it's better than burning penguins or shoving baby rhinos into your petrol tank. So, is, I mean, is this the way that we are going to save the world by just uh, pretending that we're, we're saving the world and um, hoping for the best? I think it is. I think uh, nuclear energy is green. It's undeniably the colour that it glows. And <laughs> the hope here is that we use nuclear energy to reduce our carbon footprint. And it's a clever move. Think of it this way. Say you're feeling, it's after Christmas, we're all feeling a little bit on the heavy side, and you're worried that that could have negative health effects in the future. One possible solution will be to take out a gun and blow off your foot. Now, not only <laughs> do you not worry about your stomach anymore, you will have technically reduced your weight in general. Therefore, making you healthier and environmentalism at its core its fusion core is about what kind <laughs> of a world we are leaving for our children and if we embrace nuclear energy we know exactly what we're leaving for our children and their children and their children with the six fingers and their children well i say children technically it's three heads on one body so maybe just <laughs> child uh, but this move is being opposed by the German environment minister. And surely that is cause for pause when the Germans are saying, well, think about what you're doing to the world. This is unspeakably <laughs> evil. Then I would say you are in a tight spot. <laughs> I'm in agreement, Andy, here. If a goal is difficult to meet, redefine the terms. I did this just last week. I looked in the mirror. I said, new year, new me. And now a week later, I'm looking in the same old mirror, the same old me, but I've renamed that, that me, new me. Uh, I've also confronted the reality that the inevitable process of ageing means that the new you is always the older you. <laughs> 
Oh, curse you, language. Um, <laughs> I, mean, I think in terms of the most efficient means of greenifying the world, I think we might have accidentally stumbled on it uh, over the last couple of years, which is simply to make everyone give up all hope and just sit at home waiting for the end times. Um, so, you know, there is, you know, it could be that the, this will prove to be the turning point. Yeah. In our it's nice to know that my keep cup will outlive me now. It's something <laughs> I'm leaving down to future generations. I mean, why don't they go the whole hog? They should redefine coal power stations as green as well, because coal, we know, is not green, and these power stations, getting rid of coal. <laughs> yes. Good point. I mean, there was a, our, our local um, petrol station at the end of our road. They had a rebrand a few years ago, and they came back, uh, and they were called Apple Green and had a lovely green logo of an apple. And I thought that was a really great way of saving the environment. So that, you know, because, you know, environmental destruction is 98% psychological. And if you go to fill up your car and there's a lovely picture of an apple and it's called apple green, then, I mean, how much damage can that be doing? Surely, I mean, it's, yeah. it's good. Apples are good for you. It goes to show, like, the, the term carbon footprint was invented by BP as a marketing tool. And I think that's very telling because if you are looking down to check your feet print, it makes it much easier for someone to kick you right in the ass without you noticing. <laughs> That's never a true word spoken on this podcast, albeit that is not a particularly uh, hotly contested title. Animals signalling the coming of the apocalypse news now, and, uh, well, I mean, barely a day goes by now without the animal kingdom in some way um, hinting that humanity is doomed. And in a small town in Texas, 250 miles from the sea, fish have rained down from the sky. Uh, the little town of Texarkana in Texas um, uh, suffered the shower of fish, uh, either because of some weird storm-related stuff whisking them up from the ocean and dumping them inland, as sometimes happens, or because the almighty Lord is very, very f***ing cross with us because we've been so naughty for the last three to 4,000 years. Um, what, uh, what's your interpretation of the, 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 the shower of fish? Is, is this a sign that we are genuinely doomed? I think it is a, a, a real referendum on how weak God's powers have become. If seeing as all of the things we are doing, the Almighty's response is, "Oh yeah, have a couple of fish." Um, I, I I do think we're we're too people centric in this news. Uh, of course, it is a bizarre day for the many Texans in Texarkana, but it's an even stranger day in the lives of these fish who never thought they would be in Texarkana. Always saw themselves as more of a Houston fish, if not one day moving to New York to chase their dream of being served on a cream cheese bagel. Uh, At first reports of the fish falling from the sky, uh, Texas Governor Ted Cruz, who famously fears being around in in any natural disaster in case he is asked to help, took his family on an immediate emergency Caribbean holiday, only to unfortunately, terrifyingly find himself surrounded by even more fish. So our thoughts are with him at this time. (laughs) Uh, Harbinger stations uh, who specialise in working out exactly what is portended by weird natural events have suggested that the fish rain could augur anything from uh, more traffic on the outskirts of Texarkana next Wednesday to a full alien invasion to America gradually tearing itself apart as a nation under the centrifugal forces of its own political twattery. Any one of those, I would say, is entirely plausible. But could it not be, Alice, that we've been getting this wrong throughout history? When you look at all the bad things that have happened in the world through human history that surely would have been harbinged by something if God does indeed warn us of bad things to come through sending us signs. Then maybe rain is supposed to be made of fish 
And it's when water falls out the sky, that's when God is trying to tell us that shit's about to go down. <laughs> now, Andy, people are talking about fish falling from the sky as though that was a terrifying omen. I would be more scared if they just stayed there. <laughs> Just some fish, some fish hanging out in the sky. That'd be that'd be much more worrying. I think this is a great way to uh, test the thought experiment of what happens if you give a man a fish. Because people talk about when you give a man a fish all the time, but this doesn't feel like like it's been properly scientifically researched. Like, yep. Is it a thought experiment or is it a real experiment? Are there placebo fish? What's your control? Are there men who think they're being given a fish but aren't? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I mean, if you give a man a fish in Texarkana in Texas and it lands on his head at a bus stop, then um, yeah, he'll probably be slightly confused and um, and claim that his country's being being taken from him by the liberal media. Probably. I mean, if you give a man a fish these days, he'll look at you pretty weird. It's not a not a customary gift. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think there, there is. Is it his birthday? Is he a fishmonger? Are you a fishmonger? What's the situation? Here? <laughs> yeah, you do need context there is a- for these things. As courtships There's go, a- giving someone a fish is, I think, uh, a risky move. A risky move. And no one's gonna, no one's gonna trust a free fish. You know, there are some things that you just don't want discounted. Like you don't want discount <laughs> sushi. You don't want discount sex. Workers, you don't want discount. <laughs> There's a beautiful undercurrent of friendship in this story that um, we might have missed here because. If I was working in Texarkana at a mechanics and my co-worker said, there's a fish on the ground and I saw it fall from the sky, I would say, go home, Larry. You've had a bit too much. We'll reassess and talk about this on Tuesday. But this friend went, no, not only do I believe you, let's take this to the media and make it international news. I think that's the kind of trust we should all have for each other this year. In uh, further animals uh, signalling the apocalypse coming, um, Alice, uh, a badger has found coins from around about the time of Christ. Uh, I mean, surely this this has to be a sign that you know the the, the second coming, at the very least, is upon us. <laughs> yes, uh, these Roman coins have been discovered. Uh, nearby the den of, of an animal. Look, the BBC, I'm just reading this story. Again, I'm going to go meta on this. They've injected this story with a lot of colour. What happened was some coins were found outside an animal den and then nearby a, st- a stash of Roman coins were found. But the BBC has written this up as, in a desperate attempt to find some food, it is thought that the animal, which researchers believe could be a badger, inserted its <laughs> legs into a small crack opening next to its refuge, but it found no use for the old coins and abandoned some of the pieces in front of its den. That is a direct quote from the BBC, a news site. I'm impressed, <laughs> but I think it needs more epic. <laughs> I think it should read like this. A lone, brave, possibly badger, plausibly called Mr. Miblins, cast adrift in a cold world, has fulfilled what might have been his dream after what could have been a lifetime of amateur archaeology and grave robbing. Women badgers want him. Men badgers want to be him. Long is it possible that he has sought this treasure, which might or might not be the lost treasure of the third eagle. Uh, in, in turn, the third eagle may or may not have been a Roman platoon. Who knows? This is news. This is what they pay me for. End of article. 
I think you're entirely right, Alice. I think, if anything, they have been taking agency away from the badger here. They, their article says that the badger was probably searching for worms and berries. I'm going to say the badger was searching for Roman society artifacts. And I've read my <laughs> wind in the willows. I know badgers famously hate society. So upon finding the coins, the badger was disgusted with itself and retreated away. The badger picked up these Roman artifacts and thought, real money's worth nothing. I'm invested in Bitcoin. Then cast them aside. <laughs> Do you know what this story is? This is a shot across the bow to every archaeologist. A badger can do what you do. A badger. <laughs> Have you ever seen a badger perform potent political satire? Only once. And it was mostly badger re- related. Four stars. Red like a three. <laughs> Uh, in other um, old stuff news, um, a huge scandal is brewing, um, Alice, amongst the um, fans of medieval warhorses uh, community. After it's been claimed that uh, medieval warhorses, rather than being imposing heroic beasts, were in fact little more than modern-day beach ponies. Um, I mean, this is this is rocking the warhorse fan community to its core, isn't it? Yeah, I'm absolutely gutted. This discovery, of course, made by a roving weasel, but I cannot tell you how disappointing this fact is to my fantasies of being rescued from a set of improbable difficulties by some sort of lord or laird in a medieval-ish situation. Despite my anachronistic modern taste for hand-washing and individual rights, he would be swept away by my ineffable beauty. And what is the point in that situation of a tiny horse? What is the point of a tiny horse in that scenario? There is no respectful but heated frottage going on in the smooth saddle of a basic pony. I'm just... So disappointed. I think it's an adorable image. It makes what's often a brutal and bloody history seem quite quaint. You know, you see Genghis Khan being led around a paddock by a stoned carnival worker. Charge looks more like a friendly friendly trot. And it explains why lances were so long, because the other horse riders were actually very far away and it took ages to (laughs) shut down the distance. So it was easy to just poke him with a stick. And I think this is all a matter of perspective. Medieval knights were no bigger than your average cat, and the nation of France was no bigger than a standard cricket oval. Everything was just smaller. And you have to wonder at these sizes just how many people could fit inside the Trojan horse. It is by far history's most consequential pinata, but I just don't think it had leg room. <laughs> so are you suggesting that the Trojan horse was sort of the ancient world's equivalent of the clown car? And absolutely right. <laughs> they actually crashed one on the way there, and it took out half the army. Particularly <laughs> oh, when they had to get out and shoot the horse. Odysseus could have gotten home with a determined hop. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Pope has weighed into the um, animals uh, issue and claimed that people choosing cats or dogs over children are being selfish. Um, now, surely this all depends on, again, on context and the, and the situation. I mean, if you are collecting uh, your pets and children from a, a, an institution that is both a pet care centre and a children's preschool and you choose cats or dogs over your children when told... You can only take one or the other. Then I would say yes, that that is potentially selfish. If you're writing a will and you choose cats or dogs over children, uh, I mean, it might be that you have a really amazing dog or really annoying children. Uh, I would say that's selfish, perhaps. Maybe not selfish, maybe questionable. If you're casting for a nativity play 
and you choose cats or dogs over children, then you are, you know, it's a radical reworking of the Bible. I applaud you for it. Uh, if you're choosing which <laughs> is to be sacrificed to Zeus to ensure a successful sea voyage on the way to war, well, as a bit of a technical grey area, uh, you can go either way on that. If you're a Soviet-era space exploration project director and you need something to fire into space to see if it will be feasible to send adult humans there, then I would say definitely go with a cat or dog. Um, it, it's just <laughs> the optics of, of strapping a child into a rocket and firing into space. Not not good even in 1950s Soviet Union. Um, so uh, what do you think? I mean, both of you recently have, have, have gone down the uh, child rather than cat or dog. Was that a difficult choice to make? I have both a dog and a newborn baby, and if I was forced to choose between them, it would be easy enough to pick the... Uh, I do have to clean up after them both. The baby doesn't bring in the newspaper, but she also doesn't chew my sandals. No, it is the baby. It's the baby by a cute little button nose. I think you're right, Andy. It is context. The problem is context. What are you choosing them for? Is it who can pull your sled over the tundra? In that case, it is selfish to choose children. They simply cannot take that much time off school. But personally, I am impressed by the Pope's moxie. A lesser pontiff would have said, you know what, let's give it another year or two before we at the Catholic Church start lecturing people on the welfare of children. But not this Pope. He gets right in there. Well, I think it's nice to see Catholicism going back to its roots, which is guilt, 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 guilt. The motto uh, of the religion might as well be, look what you made me do. I knew you were coming around for dinner and you'd want your sins forgiven, so I killed my only son. Don't tell me you're not hungry. Uh, Holy Father, I didn't ask you to kill your only son. I know I did it anyway. I know it's your favorite. You were always like, good takeout with Abraham. But if we're playing son killing chicken, I'd love to see what you've got. Or rather, begot not made, one being with the father. (laughs) Of course, Jesus himself had a cat um, called Ernie and uh, a fish uh, called The End, which was a wordplay on the French word fin uh, or fin. Um, so, and that's actually, he, he practiced the Lazarus move on uh, on the fish and then uh, his cooking skills as well. That fish actually lived to 22 before Peter ate it after a team bonding piss up. Uh, read into that, uh, what you will. <laughs> Australia COVID tennis news now and it's been an extraordinary week here in Australia with the legal case surrounding Novak Djokovic, the uh, 20-time Grand Slam tournament winning uh, tennis player um, and joyless efficiency monthly magazines uh, sportsman of the millennium so far. Um, it's uh, It's been really quite hard to fathom this but I mean the context of, of COVID in Australia at the moment when I, I arrived... Uh, what, two months ago now, and there were very few cases, and now there are, uh, in scientific terms, f- loads of cases everywhere. Um, it's It's been a kind of interesting and curious time to, to be here. Uh, uh, and uh, there's even talk of people having uh, pox parties in Queensland to try and catch, uh, catch the virus. But, I mean... <laughs> As we record, Novak Djokovic has been released uh, back into reality um, from his uh, incarceration um, after a, a judge uh, overturned the government revoking his uh, entry visa. Um, it's such a bizarre story, this. Uh, because Djokovic is clearly a, I mean, it's a great sport, a great tennis player, but at the same time, no one particularly likes him, or not many people, or maybe not, no one particularly likes him, but a lot of people particularly don't like him. And uh, he's not had a vaccine, but he has had COVID. 
recently, uh, and the day after he tested positive for COVID, he was shaking hands with children and receiving an award. It's a really weird story. <laughs> Can either of you make head or f***ing tail of it? I mean, I, ha- I can't make head or tail of it. There's two events within it, within this series of events that uh, delight me. One, that there were violent protests in the streets of Melbourne, either for or against Novak Djokovic entering. I'm not sure... Uh, why on whose side they were coming down it was just presumably quits doing what quits do which is quitting about but uh that his his father compared him to spartacus uh and (laughs) his family during a press conference when they were asked about him attending these indoor events in the days after he tested positive uh tried to (laughs) tried to um tried to divert attention by singing a patriotic song Just singing a Serbian country folk song. Fun times. Right. That's well, very Spartacus. Did... Just make a loud distraction until the guards move along. <laughs> I wish we'd really like Spartacus. He'd have waged war uh, on the Australian government um, on the, the slopes of a volcano. But um, he, he's not done that. I mean, like, there are elements in which Djokovic and Spartacus are like peas in a pod. But both perform well in an arena. Um, both have been played by Kirk Douglas in film portrayals of their lives. Uh, the Djokovic um, CGI Kirk Douglas movie uh, due out um, in five minutes' time. Um, uh, they both led revolutions. Spartacus led the uh, the third, I believe, the third servile war against the Roman Empire in the seventies um, BC. And uh, Novak Djokovic is trying to lead a revolution against medical science and good sense when it comes to <laughs> COVID vaccination. Uh, both of them uh, have hair like a Lego man. Uh, it's, um, uh, I mean, that's not proven with Spartacus, but it's definitely true of Djokovic. So let's assume it's also true of Spartacus. And uh, both have a marble statue in the Louvre of them with their penis out. So um, it's, it is uncanny. You can see why it, uh, that, um, Djokovic's father could, could mix him up with the uh, the famous yeah. uh, slave revolt leader. And standing with him is noble, but also ultimately bad for your health. Uh, <laughs> I think that this this situation, so um, what we need to understand firstly is just how rampant COVID is ripping through Australia right now. Like all trends, it takes a couple of extra years to get to Australia, but as soon as it gets here, we go for it. <laughs> and uh, right now, three of out of every four tests are coming back positive with one of them inconclusive. No, sorry, that's the ashes again. But <laughs> Oh, come on, do- James. <laughs> I've spent an hour, nearly an hour, not thinking about the cricket, and you've just brought it all, all back. Oh, man. But what we do know, his lifetime, James. That's nearly an hour cumulative over his lifetime. What we do know about this story, though, and all tennis fans know, is tennis has the greatest review system in modern sports, and that is exactly what has happened to Djokovic here. He's out. No, he's in. Okay, let's take it to Hawkeye. Ooh, and he's in. Only just. And this is. A big win against the Australian government, and it was the Australian government's mistake for holding the proceedings on a grass court. If they had held it on clay or even perhaps synthetic, he probably wouldn't have triumphed. (laughs) But uh, you can be uh, forgiven for thinking that the way into Australia was to break the law. It used to be. That was an old policy. We changed that a short (laughs) time ago. Uh, And this has turned into a real egg-on-the-face moment for our government, who were hoping to use the story to distract on an egg-on-the-face moment they were having with rapid testing, only for that story to backfire and draw attention to Australia's cruel immigration laws, which is somewhat of an entire factory farm applied (laughs) directly to the face. Uh, But I feel, ultimately, this story, like so many, is 
a terrible misunderstanding. You see, Melbourne is the most locked down city in the world. I myself have done multiple lockdowns in Melbourne. This wasn't a punishment for Djokovic. We were trying to show him a little bit of the local culture. Welcome to <laughs> Australia. Here's a spoonful of Vegemite, two weeks stint in isolation. And when you get out, you can pat a koala that's almost as diseased as you. <laughs> Alice, can I ask? Have you have this? This feels like a, uh, a personal thing to ask on the show. Have you contracted COVID? Because honestly, enough of our friends in Australia have right now that I'm feeling a bit like a loser. Like, was everyone hanging out without me, and you all caught this contagion? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, we are new parents. We don't get to hang out with anyone anymore. Downside, upside, we don't catch the plague. Balance. <laughs> Well, that concludes this week's Bugle. I think we've covered pretty much everything that's happened in the world uh, this year. I do hope you've enjoyed it. We'll be back next week with more uh, from uh, the planet. Um, Don't forget to book tickets for my UK tour shows, uh, which begin uh, sometime in late February. Uh, A couple of them are having to be moved due to a clash with uh, radio recordings. But uh, details are available. Uh, Actually, I won't say that. I'm not sure they have been moved yet. Um... Details are available on my website, andysaltsum.co.uk, which is kind of sort of up to date, but I might have to um, change a few things and move them around. But basically, you know, uh, it's all there if you look online. Uh, Anything to plug, James? You've got any uh, shows coming up or anything else you'd like to tell our listeners about? Uh, Live shows don't exist in Australia right now, but I would, uh, (laughs) if you... Would like to check out. I have a couple of podcasts. One called The Collie Problem, which goes for five hours. In case you're worried, there just wasn't enough bullshit in your ears. And the other <laughs> one is called Vanity Project, where me and a friend go through A-list celebrities D-list albums. So if you ever want to hear how Robert Downey Jr. sounds on a grand piano, tune in. Uh, Alice, uh, as well as the, the Gargle, the uh, Bugle's uh, sister audio publication. What, what else have you got? Uh, I have, presumably, if all things go well, which they won't, uh, I have a series of, of live shows coming up. I'll be doing Adelaide, uh, Sydney, Melbourne and Perth in the festival run. So if you're in any of those places, uh, look up my show, Kronos, uh, a show that I began to write in 2019 and will finish writing <laughs> sometime indeterminate in the future. I'm also going to be doing uh, Edinburgh and uh I, I'm just saying these things out loud as though they're going to happen. Yes. Well, <laughs> you say it out loud, it's got a, a now a 0.3% greater chance of happening than if you'd kept it uh, under your bonnet. Um, well, if you want to find out was... how and when they all get cancelled, look me up at <laughs> patreon.com slash <laughs> Up to the minute updates. Um, thank you for listening, uh, Buglers. There will be the return of our premium voluntary subscriber, Lies, next week. Uh, to join the Bugle voluntary subscription scheme uh, or to make a one-off or recurring donation to help keep the Bugle free, uh, flourishing and independent, go to thebuglepodcast.com and click Donate. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.